We're getting ready to talk about week four of The Celebrity Apprentice, but don't miss this Thursday, January 26th, from the network that brought you Vampire Diaries and Gossip Girl. It's CW's wickedly irresistible new series, Riverdale. Riverdale's all about a small town with big secrets. The story begins with a new year at Riverdale High and a grisly discovery, the body of one of its brightest young stars. And as the shock of an entire town is setting in, suspicions and questions arise. Who killed Jason Blossom and why? What did everybody really do over the summer and with whom? The series is based on characters from the beloved classic Archie Comics. If you ever read it, you know which character you are. Are you a good girl like Betty or a bad girl like Veronica? Or are you like the golden boy Archie or a misunderstood loner like Jughead? Which character are you secretly crushing on? Get ready because in this twist on the classic, there's a lot more to each character than meets the eye. In Riverdale, nothing and nobody are as they seem. So don't miss the thrilling premiere of the must-see new drama, Riverdale, Thursday, January 26th, only on The CW. Coming to you live from the boardroom, it's Rob Has a Podcast. And now, here's a man who has never once burned the booty. I'm Rob Cisternino. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our Celebrity Apprentice wrap up here for week number four. A shocking turn of events all the way around. A lot to talk about. Three people gone tonight after a surprise firing in the boardroom. And now let me bring in my celebrity apprentice team. I'm sure uh, I know that he can't wait to talk about Harry Potter. Uh, please welcome in uh, a great Gryffindor, Mike Bloom. Uh, Rob, on a scale from one to 10, and in terms of Harry Potter, I am definitely a nerd. And in terms of booty popping, I am still a nerd. Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> nerd across the board. Good, but not single. No, nope. I am married, so I am one above Matt Eisman at this point. I can hold that above his very tall head, at least. <laughs> Good. And also with us once again, the very snavy Megan Z. Megan, how are you? I'm doing excellent. I heard that you had to have a gangster here, so that's why I'm here. Good. Good. I'm glad you guys have both made it back and nothing happened to your computers tonight. <laughs> well, no, let's let's wait. I mean, it took Chell what, an hour and a half before he, he got up to that mischief? Let's see how long this podcast goes. Yes, let's see how right it goes. Right towards the end of the podcast, it'll just end with a, with a clip. Yes, a snip. And so that the Celebrity Apprentice uh, aired tonight on NBC and on NBC.com for those of you guys who are cord cutters uh, like Chael. <laughs> yes, Chael, is, Chael, Chael might be getting a bunch of deals for like digital streaming services after this. I'm sure Amazon Prime is like knocking down his door at this point, <laughs> yeah. kicking it down as it be. It really does speak for itself. Of like, Chael is a cord cutter, and you can be too. Get rid, say, say goodbye to high price cable bills, like Chael did, uh, and a big fiasco. There was a question: uh, What are we calling this? Are we calling it cord cutting gate, scissor gate, wire gate, Megan? What do you think? Ooh, uh, I hadn't thought about what the proper uh, gate we a were going to put to the two end of scissors. 
Well, I mean, come on. How can you beat that? That sounds fantastic. It's wordy. It's long. It's long. It could be workshop. It, okay. it was the prima of times. It was the arete of times. <laughs> so that's what I'd like to talk about. Of course, our top story at this hour, uh, the Chael Sonnen firing is what I want to get into. And then we'll go back and talk about the other two tasks. But uh, we do have some Celebrity Apprentice history one of the wackier things that we've ever seen on the show, and that is saying a lot. So Chael decides to cut the wire. Nobody seems to know exactly if he did it, but he cops to it very quickly. Megan, is there any precedent for anything like this before in Celebrity Apprentice? I have never heard the rule book ever mentioned of Celebrity Apprentice, but apparently <laughs> Chael read it from cover to cover. Like Chrissy. And there's this yeah, I was like, say Chrissy and Chrissy, Shale exactly. have something in common. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he didn't know that this was against the rules. He said that, well, if there was a technical difficulty, they would get 10 minutes back on the clock. And he thought he could buy some time by cutting the cord and having technical difficulty. But the problem is... If it's done by accident, that's where they give you a technicality. I'm quite frankly surprised that he walked up to the producer and the producer gave him the time to keep working on it because you said that, you know, the celebrities themselves might not have noticed, but the cameraman has a very clear shot of Chael squatting next to the cord holding a pair of scissors. This man is about as conspicuous as a firework at this point in terms of, you know, slipping under the radar and saying, like, nobody will ever suspect the subtle MMA fighter who was hovering above the computer right before it exploded. Was it a good thought, though, Mike? That's an interesting question. I mean, if he'd gotten away with it, I guess so. But the thing is, like, I just don't understand his thinking about it because he immediately, he immediately fesses up to it as well. And there's this, this whole argument about, like, oh, it technically wasn't cheating. But I'm pretty sure, like, the definition of cheating is, you know, doing unfair things in order to advance your success in the game. Yeah. I feel like this is, like, a step removed from, like, something Piers Morgan might do, which is bending the rules. But, I mean, Shale flat out broke any sort of rules that might have been set for this task. Yeah, Megan, I want to get into the psychology of this. It seems like an odd move for Chael to make that it seems like that if they went back to the boardroom, there almost seems to be no reason to believe that Chael would be the person who got fired on this task. He had absolutely nothing to do with an idea that the executives were going to hate. There had to have been sort of a prevailing thought that Team Primo was going to be losing this task almost no matter what. It seems like that just by the enthusiasm of what Matt knew about Harry Potter and the lameness of their idea, they had to feel like there was a likely chance they were going back to the boardroom. Why would Chael be the person to really put himself out there like this on a task where he probably was not going to be fired. I think that that Chael saw himself as the hero. You heard him say, you're welcome. I think he saw himself as the diabolical mastermind. Now, I believe that and- is also the name of his podcast. They might be his catchphrase. You're welcome. <laughs> That's right. It might be. Uh, But, you know, I think that he was thriving in this moment, that he saw an opportunity to put a little mischief in the game. And, you know, it it didn't was in poor execution and obviously poor results. But I think that he was he was kind of living for this moment for himself. I mean, Rob, you you scoffed at me a couple of weeks ago for saying that Chael was the Russell Hans of The Apprentice. But I don't know. I feel like it's not complete apples and oranges that Chael did this and you have Russell Hands burning people's socks on the first day in, in Survivor Samoa. 
Yeah. But Russell didn't stand by the fire then as everyone watched and watched the Sox burn. Okay, let me give you a little bit of a hot take. Do you feel that Chael potentially was no different than Vince Neal and chose to fall on his own scissors this round? Do you feel like he did not want to quit, but he did want to tap out of The Apprentice, perhaps, but didn't want to go into the boardroom and say, you know what? I was the weakest person on this task. If anybody should be fired, he wanted to leave the celebrity apprentice at this point in time, but wanted to do it on his own terms and in true Chael fashion, go out with a bang, Megan. It's very possible, uh, unless if there's uh, footage on the on the floor. He didn't say anything when he got fired. He just got up and left. He didn't fight back. You'd think that if he really stood by this, he would have put some more chutzpah behind uh, behind his speech there at the end. Yeah, he did really cop to it very quickly, Mike, and did say like, oh, was that against the rules? I didn't know. I thought I was doing something good for the team. Yeah, that's a very interesting uh, tinfoil wizard's hat theory you have there, Rob. I mean, it is interesting because, I mean, he even says at the beginning of this task, like, I don't know anything about Harry Potter. I was basically sleeping with my eyes open through the first day of the task. I, I, I might push back against what you said before. If, you know, Prima does go to the boardroom, I think there actually might be some credibility to Arnold deciding to terminate Chael there because, you know, in addition to what happened in the previous boardroom, now he even admits that he hasn't done anything for the task. And that might be more of a sin than, you know, doing a wrong pitch or creative like Portia or Carson did. I could definitely see this is the type of guy that would want to go out on his own terms. But I mean, his final words are weird as well, too, because I mean, you just talked about it, Megan. He sort of walks out, but then gets this confessional where he makes it seem like it was a game move from the other players to call him out when I don't think so. I think they were genuinely pretty rattled by having their own teammate deliberately sabotage and cheat in order to try to get ahead in a task that they still lost by a country mile. So to have Chael then spin it to be like, oh, yeah, these guys are so smart. They purposely, you know, turn the onus onto me to get rid of me was definitely a, a little bit of a, of hindsight history there. Oh, I disagree. I feel like that it totally was a game move that Chael did something that turned out to really not work out in his favor. And we can debate whether or not what he thought was going to be the ultimate outcome of doing that. But I thought that Carson especially was really pouring it on in the boardroom where, oh, governor, we couldn't sleep last night. All I kept thinking about when I closed my eyes was Chael with the scissor, <laughs> what he might be doing to the wires. We were shook, governor. We couldn't concentrate on the task. And the reason why our presentation was so bad was because big bad Chael was cutting wires and he almost made us lose our presentation, even though we lost absolutely nothing. I'm surprised nobody talked about how it also could have just like killed them or started a fire. I mean, there was like 20 wires back there. I don't know how experienced Chael is with cutting wires, but he seemed to know exactly which (laughs) one to cut very quickly and then slide away. I'm surprised that Chael himself did not undergo some sort of electrical shock. I mean, admittedly, I had confidence. He knows what he's doing (laughs) back there, Mike. I guess so. Maybe he's a, a lost member of the bomb squad that we didn't even realize. I mean, I've taken a fork to an electrical socket one time in my life, but I've never ventured near a, a cord with a with a sharp object because I've seen the G.I. Joe PSAs. I might know what's going to happen if you do that. That's yeah, okay. Good. So, yeah, I think that Chael 
maybe knew what he was doing, knew what he was getting into. But I think that these other people on the team misplayed their hand thinking like, oh, okay, we are going to go in from the get go. We're going to bury Chael and make it seem like it was his fault that we lost the task. And then I think that the governor pulled a okie doke on them and fired him before he even got to firing somebody else from their team. How about that, Megan? That's 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 very possible. They misplayed it's this. Very possible. They misplayed it. But uh, how could you know? How could you know how many uh, terminations the governor was going to have in his fingers today? It was a bad call on their part, and they did not see this double firing coming. And it looks like next week there's going to be another double firing. So really, very quickly getting down to the uh, nitty gritty here on the Celebrity Apprentice. I believe three weeks from tonight is going to be the finale. So only two more regular episodes, and then we get to the finale of the show. So, Mike, uh, do you have any final words on Chael as through four weeks of Celebrity Apprentice? Yeah, I mean, Chael was a little bit of a roller coaster, much like riding a ride at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Uh, I think when going into it, I know a lot of people were pumping him up to us, saying, you know, oh, Chael's going to be such a huge reality TV villain. I felt like he talked a lot of game. The only real spike that we saw in that persona was the task that he lost, the Welch's grape juice, when it felt like he was ready to stab Ricky Williams in the back with 420 Scissor. daggers, and uh, or scissors, if you will, until uh, Eric Dickerson decides to throw in the towel. Uh, and then we saw it come to light in these past couple episodes. But that being said, I, I kind of said the same thing about John Lovett's last episode. I'm fine with leaving Chael where he is right now, because especially after what he did and the uh, the moral murkiness that exists, and granted, Celebrity Apprentice is a show that morality doesn't really apply to at any point in time, but considering, I think, how the rest of the cast and his team felt about him, I don't know how I would feel keeping him in the in the game for another couple weeks. Well, Mike, it sounds like that you're right there with uh, other members from Prima, that you sound like you are very strong feelings about the ethics of what Chael did. Well, I also talk at 100 miles an hour, so I sympathize with Portia there, at least. (laughs) (laughs) Megan, any final thoughts from you on Chael? You know, at least he got to meet his idol, Warren Buffett. He can go out with that high note that 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 great thing happened. And then, you know, he met his idol and and then he lost his mind, basically, after that. Here's here's another tinfoil wizard hat theory. What if... Seeing Vince Neil fired, I mean, the one thing we heard about Chael is that he was dreaming about this duo of Vince Neil and Boy George. <laughs> Since the, the the idea of the band was officially broken up, what if Chael decided to just leave the game and say, you know what, this my dream duo is now, is now on the rocks, I'm going to hit the rocks too, and I'm going to start uh, booking the tour ahead of time. So once Boy George gets fired, he can hop on the road with me and Vince and all these uh, women in bikinis. Yeah, I'm out, so that's it. I I thought Chael had a good run, and I think that he was probably one of the more, no pun intended, electric personalities that we had on this season. <laughs> and at least he was trying to play it up for the cameras. I don't know if we have anybody left here that's really trying to play up for the cameras. And I think that we need a little bit of that. We don't really have too many crazy type people in this season. So at least he was something different than some of the other drier personalities we have on this season. I don't know. I mean, ever breaking down what our final eight at this point, I feel like Lisa Leslie fits that exact quota that you were just speaking about, Rob. And I feel like she's enough of a big personality to bring all the drama. And then you have people like Matt Eisman and and Carson who were just like fun characters. And you have boy George in there as well. Granted, I was only talking about half the cast and I'm sure we can break down uh, maybe a couple of people that are more duds comparatively, but I feel like the cast is still 
pretty good right now. I mean, we got rid of Chael, we got rid of Portia, and we got rid of Vince Neil, who kind of became, uh, you know, emphasized his dead weight value in the mm-hmm. first task. So I yeah, still feel spent. pretty good about the cast. Megan, where do you feel about the cast right now losing Chael tonight? I feel like the cast is very light. Like, it's very light. It's very fun. But we are lacking that signature, you know, absurdity that the Celebrity Apprentice is kind of its signature move to have that. Um, And kind of looking at the board here, unless if we're going to have a shuffle, we're removing a lot of our big uh, conflicting relationships with people leaving. Like, at least Lisa was fighting with Chael. Uh, Yes, Lisa is still there. But you took away the two people that she fights with all the time in Portia in jail, so I don't really know who's left to fight with now. At least it gets into a fight with anybody else left in this group. Then we have to say it is Lisa. I think that we'll see ultimately. I think that who's left on that team was Boy George on the team with Carson and with Lisa. No, but I could very easily nope. see him get moved over there because I think he's a prime candidate for Lisa to get in a feud with, considering how much of a diva. Boy George was those yeah. first couple weeks in the game. I have a feeling they would not get along. I just don't know whose season this is when we think back to, okay, this is this season of the Celebrity Apprentice. This is this season of the Celebrity Apprentice. Like, Megan, who's the star of this cast? I think it probably, is it is it Carson? Is it Boy George? I mean, he wasn't even in half the episode today. But you're right. I think that's a good point, that there isn't somebody that's our, our shining star or even our, our falling star that we get to watch. There's not one person that I say, oh, I have to see what this person is going to do next. Like, there is no Gary Busey. There is no Joan Rivers. There is nobody who is the lead in terms of the contestants, in my mind. Well, could you argue if like John Lovitz had stayed through last week that it, he has a chance of it becoming his season no, where he's... I, I don't think so. I don't or, think it was Lovitz. I don't think that person was in this cast. Yeah. You that don't just, think Carrie Keegan had it in there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I think that just from a casting perspective, I feel like that we missed the mark on this season that I just don't think we had that one dynamic personality that I want to tune in every single week to see. Like, forget the hosts or anything like that. I think that maybe as we're starting to take a step back from this season, I just feel like that we didn't nail it in terms of the contestants in this cast. I don't know. Maybe I'm just too optimistic on Lisa Leslie because she greatly surprised me from my first impressions. But we'll see how much further she makes it. But considering what other drama she might bring in the next couple of weeks, I could very much see us looking back on this season saying this was Lisa Leslie's season with occasional color commentary from Carson and Matt. I don't mean to be too down in terms of the overall state of the Celebrity Apprentice address. I just feel like that in terms of the people that are left on the board, I'm not too inspired, even though we do have some fun people still in the mix. But I don't know if we have uh, any like breakout top 15, top 20 celebrity apprentice uh, characters, Megan. Yeah, we might not be there. We might not be there yet. But there are some episodes left. Maybe, you know, you know, we don't know. This could be Ricky Williams season. And the last couple episodes, he's just going to completely come out and be like, damn, Ricky, you know, you're, this, you're a star. Where have you been all this year? Maybe. OK, well, let's go through the rest of the episode because it was a fun show tonight. And let's talk about the Larissa's Kitchen task. Had either of you guys been familiar with Larissa's kitchen in terms of the snacks that they make? Not her kitchen, not her living room, <laughs> not the rest of her house. I mean, I will say I heard Larissa Kitchen's 
pitch here. I, I, her name is not Larissa Kitchen. I don't know why I said that. Um, but it seems like, is Larissa's Kitchen getting in on some nature box turf? It sounds very similar. It does sound similar, but w- what she's doing is like, it seems more like jerky, whereas nature box is like a lot more of like dried fruit and nuts and uh, those types of snacks. And what she's doing is more meats uh, based on what we saw tonight. So uh, it is in the similar trajectory of healthier snacks. The things that we saw tonight seems like it's more like if I had to put my finger on, it, I'd say jerky for women. Is that OK to say, Megan? That does seem accurate. Also, thanks, Larissa's Kitchen, because now after I looked it up, all of my Amazon suggestions are for grass fed jerky and gluten free jerky. So thank you. Now I can have all the options available to me. Right. That I think that, you know, jerky is not just a men's game anymore, Mike. Thanks to Larissa. No, the men were acting, the, I mean, the men were acting pretty jerky this episode. So. <laughs> That's okay. a, that's Chael's territory. <laughs> All right. Brooke Burke is going to be the project manager and Lisa Leslie is going to be the project manager. And uh, we have uh, two similar approaches. But, you know, Brooke Burke really went out of her way to see, like, let me go make this as boring and as vanilla as possible. <laughs> I'm going to play it really close to the vest. We're not going to take any chances. And against the other team, which said we're going to just be a hot mess. It turned out that boring and not taking any chances by far was the better plan. Yeah, you can imagine that maybe there's a deleted scene where Brooke Burke called David Charvet and asked, like, hey, babe. I'm doing this task. What do you think about this pitch? He's like, nope, make it more generic, make it boring, bring in your eclectic booty popping work that you do in Florida. That's going to give you a cool 50 grand. I guarantee it. (laughs) Yes. Was David Charvet invited to come down and pop booties, Megan? Uh, He was invited, but um, he didn't want to do that because he's a strong male and he wouldn't pop his booty. (laughs) Yes, he would not. Uh, Meanwhile, Team Prima, Lisa's team, there seems to be a vacuum of leadership where it seems like that there's some insubordination going on, Mike. Do you think, is this more on Lisa or is this more on the soldiers that don't want to listen to her? I want to say a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, because, I mean, I will think that Chael and Vince... I don't know what their attitudes and their proclivities towards, you know, Lisa were in previous instances. It was a little weird. And they even talk about this in the boardroom that like everyone, you know, got on their beck and call to please Vin to give him as much money as possible for his charity last task. And for him to kind of tell Lisa Leslie, like, kiss my ass. And the next task is like a really weird turn. But I would say Lisa was pretty scattershot as well. And Again, I'll, I'll put Carson in the Pendulette role here. It ends up being the losing role of him sort of leading but not actually and leading Vince the task. Vince has an idea for what they need to do. They have like these big storage containers that are actually very fancy and you could take the walls down by like some sort of a lever which has like some hydraulic system that makes the walls get lowered down. And so there's a second level also to these storage facilities. And so Vince has an idea and he tells, so what if we got like some dancing girls and we could just get them like up there, like all like in a bikinis, like dancing on the beach. That'll be just... And everyone's like, uh, uh, pro- no. well, I guess if it, uh, could, do they have to be in bikinis? I like how your Vince Neil impression sounds like an extra from Deadwood. <laughs> sure. It's just like, you know, get some girls. What do we say? Get some girls, get some booze. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> about those sibling S's, yeah. Yeah, it'll be great. Yeah. 
Uh, so, yeah. What do you think, Megan? It seemed like that uh, Lisa was willing to pander to Vince just because she didn't want him to check out. Well, Lisa was like, we have to go with one of Vince's ideas. So what were Vince's other ideas if this was the one they had to go with? Okay, what do you get? Some some naked girls, like some bikini girls, and then... You know, there's like a fire fire hose of white wine just spraying out in the crowd. (laughs) Actually, that might attract more moms, so maybe it was a good idea in retrospect. Well, save that for the Welch's grape juice uh, challenge when they come back for the finale. (laughs) The question is, would this draw attention from the brand? Would, Would it be a bad idea in hindsight to potentially have these dancing women on the roof of the storage container and Megan lo and behold it would be I didn't think they were like completely classless dancers I mean the way they kept harping on it you would think that they were straight like you know um, Hawaiian Tropic or Hooter Girls but they they weren't that scandalous up there yeah this is not Sig Hansen hiring the Hooters Girls to go on his circle line tour (laughs) yeah literally hiring the Hooters Girls (laughs) Okay. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Rete, uh, they're working on their booty burning. And Matt Eisman is, uh, it was a big night for Matt all around. Uh, certainly, he's going to have his star turn when he ends up being the project manager on the Harry Potter task. But Megan, did he come off as a little thirsty to you? A lot would be made about his lack of a girlfriend. But he seems very eager to do anything Brooke Burke wants that involves a booty popping and booty burning. See, this is where I was completely not following the edit properly. I didn't realize that he was being like creepy or hitting on Brooke. And then we got this other uh, confessional saying that like Matt has a big crush on Brooke. And I was like, I did not pick up on this at all. But I guess I guess he is a little thirsty. I guess so. Mike, were you picking that up? I don't know. Maybe it's because, you know, I found myself in the Matt role many times over the course of my life that maybe I felt some similar pangs of lawning, but I doubt it was anything past the actual booty popping. Wait, At Mike, least, go, any, go any back sort- to this story. So what, what are you talking about? I don't know. I, I'm sure I, we have all experienced times in our lives where there is someone that's way out of our league. I mean, Miss Brooke Burke Charvet is a, a very attractive woman. Uh, Matt is, is not too bad of a looker himself but i'm sure as someone that grew up reading the harry potter books and watching all the movies he probably was not as invested in the opposite gender as maybe somebody like david charvet so i could definitely <laughs> sympathize over there if you're if you're working closely with someone who you might be attracted to but at the same time i feel like any sort of mutual attraction immediately dissipated in the next task where brooke burke uh, once she found out how much of a bookworm matt eisman might be and that <laughs> that immediately went down from a 10 back to a one yeah she was over any sort of flirtation right quick at that point when uh, he was talking about Harry Potter and the next task. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Matt Eisman says Brooke Burke, one of the most beautiful women on the planet. How's that for a compliment, Megan? I mean, how insulting to Layla, who's right there, booty popping right next to him, too. Yeah. Well, she knows a lot about the booty popping. Yeah. Even uh, Governor Schwarzenegger, I think, got in on the leering (laughs) later on in the episode. Uh, Mike, was that a bad look for the governor? Not much of a worse look than the tabloids were saying a couple of years ago. So really, <laughs> nowhere to go but up for old Arnie. I'm sure he was just paying close to his image by saying like, oh no, the beautiful woman, half naked. This is 
And Schwarzenegger way got to peep over this railing and take a look. <laughs> yeah, they finally ha- Tom Sawyer. You're, you're listening to me. You go down to the marketplace. You get all the women in the booty pop, and then they get come and make a big crowd around the, the storage container. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that you know the exec obviously chose uh, Arete, but I'm surprised he didn't show more sympathy towards Vince, considering that that's just a different version of the idea that he had presented as genius five tasks ago. <laughs> yes. Governor, we just tried to get some women down here in the bathing suits, you know, just get like a lot of cameras going on them and trying to get like a big uh, crowd happening around here. Uh, no, no, Vince, not good. Uh, no girls, girls, girls. Also, you mentioned the executive, uh, Miss Larissa Kitchen herself, uh, was nowhere to be seen no. after the beginning. She didn't show up, and they were just like, well, this is what the executive thinks. So who even knows if her input was heard? I think that Larissa Kitchen got one look at this motley crew, no <laughs> pun intended, and said, you know what? Uh, th- you guys take it from here. I, don't, I barely want my name, my good name, Larissa Kitchen, being uh, dragged through the mud with these idiots. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure the only thing on our comment card read why is everyone so obsessed with their asses? This is not what Larissa's <laughs> Kitchen is about. <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, here is uh, Bob, Bob Harper from The Biggest Loser. Mike, are you a Biggest Loser watcher? Um, Intermittently. Uh, I think there was a point when they were doing it twice in one year, which was a little bit of a, a burnout as they burned the pounds. I know you did that interview with Richard Hatch, and that brought me back in for a second. But from what I remember, I believe Bob is now the host of Biggest Loser. So yes. he's kind of gone through the ranks from trainer oh. to host now. Yes. Uh, as our NBC reality correspondent, Mike, I thought you were up on top of this. Uh, well, I'm uh, I'm a little obese in terms of my NBC reality <laughs> intake. I need, to, I need to shed some pounds. So Biggest Losers were the first carbs to go. <laughs> so we get a lot over on Team Prima about how everybody doesn't like Lisa. We hear from Chael, she's not nice. Uh, we hear from Portia that, see, this is like what she always does. Even Vince Neal doesn't like her. Megan, do you think, is Lisa not nice? I think that she probably just comes off a little brash, a little abrasive. I wouldn't say she's not nice. I think that um, she could probably do something a little bit to sweeten up her image if this is something that matters to her. But she might just be playing the role of the boss. She's not bossy. She's the boss. And she's just trying to put her ideas out there. You know, Mike, earlier in the season, I was scoffing when Snooki said, the thing about Lisa, she's not a team player. And I said, look, Lisa Leslie is a gold medal winning athlete who's played on women's basketball teams her entire life. But now, you know, there's a lot of smoke here. I don't know if we have fire on any of this stuff, but all through the season, it's been a theme that Lisa can't get along with anybody. Well, I think it's also a little difficult because there are different literal arenas to this where, you know, I don't want to boil basketball down to pass the ball to your teammates and then shoot it into a hoop. But I feel like that's a lot simpler compared to create a literal presentation in a discarded shipping container that promotes this brand in order to win $50,000. So it could be that Lisa is an awesome team captain and is a, a good leader, but sometimes those qualities don't necessarily translate to something like the Celebrity Apprentice, especially when you're dealing with such high amounts of ego on your team as well. There, and there really was no theme whatsoever that they had, Megan. Could you detect anything going on, any through line on this? I couldn't detect a proper theme on either of them. Brooke kept throwing out these three-letter phrases, 
health, wellness, lifestyle, yes. uh, food, fitness, philosophy. I was like, what? You can't just say three yeah. words together and that makes up what your theme is. Yes. It sounds, sounds like the, it sounds like the beginning to the SNL porn star sketch when they're like, <laughs> authenticity, wellness, snaviness. Jerky. Yeah. With larmdesses fitchin. <laughs> yeah. Look, this is exactly why Larissa Kitchen did not come back, Mike. You're not helping. <laughs> I'm just buying into the Vince Neal of it all. <laughs> yes. All right. So we end up with seeing the two teams get their storage containers uh, going on. Brooke Burke is booty burning. Uh, that's when Schwarzenegger is watching. Matt Eisman is talking about how snabby the whole thing is. Boy George is telling his story, Megan. Did you know about Boy George's touching story about his relationship with food? I did not. I did not know about his relationship with food, but that was very snavvy of him to tell us. Very snavvy. Uh, to the food, he said, do you really want to hurt me, food? Do you really want to make me cry? I can understand that Boy George might have had a problem with food earlier. He does wear a hat that has a bunch of forks on it, so he's always at the ready to bite into something. <laughs> so then we get Carson and Chael showing up and saying like, hey, everybody, the main event is over here. <laughs> Megan, was that inbounds? Would you say that, that we're throwing a, a yellow card at Chael for that as well tonight? I think that was fair. I mean, they ran over and said the magic words, free T-shirts. Have you ever yelled that out in public and seen how many people come running? People <laughs> love free T-shirts. That's a thing? Oh, I yeah. Haven't you ever seen people at like, haven't you... Rob, you've gone to a Mets game. When the T-shirt cannon comes up, people act like they are throwing gold Krugerons out of that thing. <laughs> yes. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe one of, that was one of Vince Neal's suggestions as well. A T-shirt cannon at the top of that storage <laughs> container. Oh, that would have been good. They should have got a, a jerky cannon where they could have just like, <laughs> uh, we're going to make it rain jerky up. So, okay, what about we get like a, like a potato gun and we just like make it rain jerky <laughs> on these like dancing girls? That'll be like, what do you think? Vince, when it rained jerky, do you think that was a good idea? Do you think that was on brand with Larissa Kitchen? Uh, like, I wasn't really thinking so much about like uh, the jerky, but like uh, more about like the dancing girls and getting a big crowd over there. Yeah, I mentioned Vince, that. Vince, you I fell on your own. You fell on your own jerky gun. You're terminated. <laughs> it's about the booty busters. Yes, the booty busters. It's happening. And so we end up seeing what's going on, a very similar theme going on on the other side of things uh, with Prima. The only difference is it seems like that the walls have come down, Megan. It's a big open space. It is. And I, I will say this is this was they were, were very beautiful storage containers. When I heard storage containers, I thought it was going to be we've had some other challenges in the past where it really is just like a glass cube or like one of those pods people use for moving. But these were very beautiful. But uh, unfortunately, yeah. at uh, Team Prima, you had to get shuffled around from station to station. It was almost like you were in a little boot camp over there. When I heard storage container, I was waiting for like Sergeant Dokes to pop out of it and teach us all about <laughs> Larissa's kitchen. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. So, <laughs> Mike, could you take us through what the experience was to go through the Prima presentation? I'd love to. It's a multi-tiered process, as Megan alluded to. Uh, step one, you go to Chael, where he teaches you to punch things and grunt. Yeah, uh, and then you move over. While wearing tights. And, <laughs> and while wearing tights, for some reason. Very 16th century of Chael. Uh, then you move over to Porsche's Corner, where she was also pulling a Brooke Burke and working on the, the booty blast routine. But I don't know if you guys overheard. 
at one point Portia said, "Mama's got to get her snatch back." Yeah, which I don't know. I don't know my colloquialisms that well, but that's very different from the booty, uh, more anterior <laughs> than posterior. Yeah, uh, I pulled a clip on that, Mike. So I, that I, I can't imagine that's what she says. But let's go back and see if we can see if there's <laughs> anything else that she could have been saying. Mama's got to get her her snatch back. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds very clear to me. We're, just, we're not even getting Ali Jean Cola on the case here. This is very definitive. <laughs> yeah, she said that was it. Her sister had a, yes. a good booty, and then they had a baby, and then I mean, um, I mean, in the in the retelling of the story, yeah, it does have a different connotation. Mama's got to get her her snatch back. I suspect not a cesarean delivery, Megan. <laughs> I guess not. I guess not. Um, yeah. Poor Portia's sister, though, got her got her booty, had some shade thrown on it. Yes. So will the Larissa jerky uh, help with any of this? Yeah, I don't know if Larissa's jerky wants to be linked with vaginal rejuvenation. Anytime no, soon. no, I don't think. I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to know if there was a Kegel corner either at the uh, at the booth. But we that's okay, so where do you go from there after you see Portia? All right, so then you go over to, I guess you go into the center where Lisa is just giving general demos about the various flavors from Larissa's kitchen. Uh, one thing I will say that they did better than Prima, which the uh, which I believe was talked about in the boardroom, is that I believe Prima had a look but do not touch, or Arete had a look but do not touch display uh, behind that wall of all the jerkies. They at least were giving out samples and then you got to move to the piece de resistance. <laughs> Take a selfie with Vince Neil. Because what says fitness better than an overweight wino 80s rocker? <laughs> Megan, would you be down to go to the selfie corner with Vince Neil? Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding me? If I had the choice between like sitting there, I, I've already done like five workouts in a row after coming to this beach. And now it's like, what's just something fun I could do? Eh, let's go with Vince and take some pictures with some jerky. Yeah. You know, in fairness, if you are trying to preach a body image of health and fitness, there is no better way to achieve that than to take a picture of yourself next to Vince Neil. <laughs> Hey, what is that supposed to literal, mean? What's that supposed to mean, a, Rob? I don't appreciate that. Yeah, what is that? What are you saying? Yeah, so, it's, sorry, it's Vince. It's criminal. It's actually pretty... I'll take back what I said before. It's criminal that we lost Vince only because we just glanced upon your impression of him. I we know. This is heartbreaking. Myriad more weeks of impressions. Hopefully he'll come back for the finale. Yes. Well, sometimes the impression is not ready, Mike, but the person is leaving, so that's it. That's when it goes on. Yeah, you had to, you had to cure and dry that impression over several weeks until it was nice and dry. Yeah. And then at some point, Vince leaves the selfie corner to go up on the roof to be up there with the hot girls having a good workout, uh, eating jerky, Megan. That's what happened. That's what happens. And also, somewhere in there, Lisa did a workout, too, because Carson did his, you know, little, you know, working out with Lisa Leslie. I'm your MC, Carson Cressley. <laughs> yeah, he had some oh, good yeah, rhymes. Fantastic rap from, you know, your anti-drug uh, assembly that you get at your elementary school. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, Mike Blumizzle, uh, how, how did Carson do? I mean, we were one step away from him saying, I'm Carson Cressley and I'm here to say. But I would say overall, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. good. <laughs> yeah. They even ended up doing a cha-cha line, Megan. Was that a, a shout out to Christina Cha? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's what was number one on their mind when they were doing the cha-cha line. <laughs> yeah. That's not a thing, right? The cha-cha line? 
I think it's a conga well, line. Yeah, yeah. I heard that. I mean, I mean, I heard Ian Ziering wanted to come back on the show and did the La Cucaracha <laughs> line. Uh, but he heard it was a triple to, termination. Yeah, due, due to licensing, he was unfortunately uh, banned from uh, from the strip. Might sound crazy, but it's true. Yeah, get some limeritas going. Limerita does go great with the uh, Larissa Kitchen uh, beef jerky. That never gets old. <laughs> I like real booties, but that's just me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we get to the boardroom and uh, everybody on Brooke's team did pretty good that they did a hundred percent except for Ricky Williams. Megan, is this a real storyline on the show that Brooke Burke has it out for Ricky Williams? I think this is just weird. This is just sneaky Brooke. We saw it in this challenge. We saw it in the next one. As soon as she gets to the boardroom, she lays the groundwork for somebody so that she can point the finger if she needs to. But we truly also didn't really see Ricky this episode either. So she could have a point there. Yes, he was kind of invisible, but he didn't seem to be doing anything bad, Mike. No, and you have to wonder, could this be one of those guys that we sometimes get on Celebrity Apprentice, like a a Lennox Lewis, for example, who, you know, everyone else falls on their own by hoisted by their own petards and they make their own mistakes and they get fired. And Ricky Williams just sort of slips in until the final four or three, where if they end up doing interviews, he immediately gets cut. Yeah. Now there's some conversation about, were there any slackers on team Prima and Portia is asked about this and she starts to go on and on and on. And we get the beginning of a storyline, which really has been going on all season of Portia rambling in the boardroom, but uh, the governor is going to begin to dig in a little bit on this. Difficult to just look at our group and if you were watching us to see who was weak and who was not. And for me, it's difficult to decide without Bush, knowing. Maybe uh, something got lost is. in the translation with my Austrian accent. Yeah, he's really just uh, not having it with Portia tonight, Megan. Yeah, and he's kind of shown this frustration week after week. You know, just give me an answer. Just give me an answer because, you know, she can put all the fluff and fold around it, but he just wants some names here. Yeah. Yeah. Portia Portia reminds me of the kid who forgot her book report was due today. And so she's like, yeah, um, all right, let's talk about Wuthering Heights. Uh, Well, the thing about it was that there were characters. And she's just like completely (laughs) talking herself around, around in circles like a, a Porsche trying to make some laps around a track. Porsche, your name is perfect because your mouth runs 100 miles an hour. Oh, boy. It's like a roast tonight, Megan. Zing. (laughs) He got zing. So Vince Neal is talking about this because it's coming up. Was this appropriate to have? And he says, for for me, it was just like it was like an hour long Zumba clash that was just going on there. Just like burning calories for Zumba. And the governor, again, was was not thrilled with this. The question is really, and I think the executives felt that this was not appropriate for the children to see the girls dancing, uh, you know, sexy up there and all those kinds of things. <laughs> I love any time that the governor ends a statement with and all those kinds of things. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's my favorite, Megan. That's great. That's great. And then they also brought up the idea of, you know, how often do you see girls dancing on top of your gym? If I saw anybody on the roof of my gym, I would immediately yep. be concerned. I would, I would assume that there are snipers in those bikinis. So we end up getting into the results. And uh, it seems as though the executives felt like they liked the farm to table feel in Brooke's presentation. They were just like sort of like grasping at straws to give any compliments to uh, Brooke's team. <laughs> Although they didn't like how she kept the walls up. 
the good news for Team Prima was they liked how they opened the walls up in the storage container. But other than that, it seemed very chaotic. It was a party atmosphere. And boy, Larissa's kitchen did not like that the sexy dancing girls were cheap and off-brand. Yeah, when when you know the one compliment you get for your entire task is, oh, you brought a wall down and that was a good decision, you know that they were really grasping for a compliment there. They felt like that was not the kinds of things that go with Larissa Kitchen jerky, Megan. I guess not. I guess not. Although, to be fair, if I were bringing up points, none of us were 100% sure even when we watched the episode, and I'm sure other people were, that it was jerky that they were serving. So maybe that should have been an issue that was clarified. Mm, yeah, that's a good question in terms of what was going on there. Neither team really did a great job considering that we watched two hours of this show and we're still not exactly sure what it is. I mean, full disclosure, I had to go to the website to sort of look at what they have on there to sort of figure it out. But the website just says it's passion in every bag. I don't know what passion is. Passion Ooh, is Korean oh barbecue. Yes. Sweet chili, uh, peppercorn, ginger teriyaki. So, yeah, it's all just uh, different types of jerky that are uh, for I guess it's not just for women it's, they seem to be appealing to women but there's nothing on the website that says this is uh, some sort of a women's jerky Megan it's moon cycle jerky I mean <laughs> no oh, no Sean no, Johnson comes cartwheeling in <laughs> yeah okay so that the executives uh, did not love that and so we are going to see team prima in the boardroom for the first time tonight and so we're trying to figure out where did it go wrong, Lisa? What, what happened? Why, why did we get this? And uh, who said Vince could have the dancing girls on the roof? And she tries to say that that wasn't her decision. And so she's trying to say that she didn't make that call, but she definitely did. Yeah, it, it's actually interesting looking back on like the stats uh, before, you know, we lost Chael, we lost Portia. There are, were a lot of people left in the in the competition who lost as project managers but mm-hmm. still stayed in the game. I feel like that's not normal in the Celebrity Apprentice. I feel like much more often than not, the project manager is the one who takes full responsibility. But here's a case where Lisa was in a super weird situation where she essentially had to say, like, yes, I okayed this idea, but the idea was Vince's to begin with and he should suffer because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Megan, did you think that Lisa had a leg to stand on with that? I think she was stretching it a little bit. I mean, certainly when she saw the girls, we didn't see like a classic clip of Lisa rolling her eyes or something like that to really show us that she was in full protest of the dancing girls. You know, she might have liked it a little bit. Who knows? Yeah, (laughs) she wanted to at least give Vince one of his ideas, but probably she should have gone with another one. And then we started to get into that. It wasn't even Lisa who was running the show. Chael says that Carson had to really be the project manager of the task uh, this week. Here's what Chael had to say about this. It was a disaster. Carson was elected through a central mutiny. It was a complete mutiny, Mike. I'm so glad you caught that. Maybe he was is like, Lisa is abnormally tall. She must be a mutant. So we took over the <laughs> mutant's position. <laughs> Wow. A whole X-Men tangent for uh, this episode that you think that Chael is anti-mutants, Mike? I guess so. He he probably would be like on Magneto's side, right? Mm, Let me see. Is he for or against mutants? It was a disaster. Carson was elected through a central mutiny. It's almost like he's saying that what Lisa was doing was a disaster and it was a good thing there was a mutiny, Mike. Oh, yeah. Maybe he is. It was a disaster. 
It was a disaster. Carson was elected through a central mutiny. A little bit of Howard Cosell there in that jail. <laughs> what is he saying? It's a essential mutiny. Yeah, I. I don't. I. I mean, Shale. I, I don't want to make any more jokes about people getting knocked in the head after what I found out about happened to Dave Mira. But I don't know. Maybe Shale is just uh, having a hard time grasping at words at this yeah. point. And he could kill all of us easily. And he has scissors. That's very he always carries scissors in his pocket, I heard. Yes. And, and I would probably be the most likely candidate to be killed by Chael. Well, you do have a lot of electronics around you at all times. So <laughs> at all times. you can go through the wires, it's going to be Chael. At all times. But no, I, that, I, I'm hoping that we could still talk to Chael eventually and ask him about all these things. But I, a, a new subplot begins to develop, Megan. And that is that did Vince Neal become complacent after winning all that money. See, Megan, I've been saying for years, you give the project manager all that money. Maybe if he only won $300,000, he wouldn't have got complacent. But because he got all Ricky Williams money also, he got complacent and got soft and felt like he didn't need to try this week. And that really did irk the governor. Rob, you cannot use this as your platform to make fun of the rules of Celebrity Apprentice with the money. You cannot use Vince Neal as your scapegoat for this. Yeah, what's that supposed to be, Rob? Uh, no, here's what the governor had to say about this. I believe 100% that I see in you that you are enjoying your victory that you just had. You raised a lot of money over $700,000 for a charity, which is incredible. But as soon as you accomplish that, you got to go and shoot for the next goal and for the next goal. If I would have just basked in the glory of being the bodybuilding <laughs> champion, the most muscular man in the world and the powerlifting champion and all of those kind of things, I would have never worked my way up in the acting career or into politics if I would just enjoy the, 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 the victories. Or well, then eventually go on to host a celebrity apprentice <laughs> if I would have just gotten complacent like you, Vince Neal. 55 minutes. We went 55 minutes without story time. That must be a record. <laughs> yeah, Megan, that the governor does not rest on his laurels. He does not. Look how far he's come. And, and every story always starts with him and those muscles. That's the, uh, that's the key <laughs> to success here is once you get the muscles, then you can go anywhere. Yes. If I, if I stopped the bodybuilding, I would not be peeking over a railing, looking at women <laughs> dancing on a shipping container. If I would have just been happy to be the most muscular man in the world, I wouldn't be sitting here with Vince Neal from Motley Crue and Chael Shannon and also with Lisa Leslie and, and a real housewife and my nephew. <laughs> I couldn't have done all these things. Uh, believe in yourselves, kids, because one day you can get to that position in life. <laughs> uh, so we start really starting to work on Vin Did Vince get soft? Did Vince get complacent? And so when Lisa and Chael are going after each other, tooth and nail, who, Vince, who do you think you should fire? And Megan, seemingly for like the fifth time this season, somebody just says, eh, you know what? I, I guess you just fire me. Vince went soft serve ice cream here. He was just, he flopped over and said, you know what? I think I've had enough. I'm going to go find those girls. I'm going to go find my selfie stick and I'm going to have a better time someplace else. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, I couldn't believe it. How many people this season? It's it's tough. And I mean, yeah, it's it's tough because I, I feel like Arnold's assessment is almost 100 percent completely correct here or 110 percent completely correct. That was like the Lou Ferrigno uh, metric that was kept being brought up this episode. I, I feel like Vince raised 700 grand for his charity. He thought that's probably the most anyone's going to raise for any task this season. 
I'm good to just jump off here. And he even says in his final words, like, yeah, I really don't care that I left because I got this much money for my charity, which sucks. Maybe it's a, it's a disadvantage of having that fundraising task right in the middle of the season because it causes people to become immediately complacent. Well, Megan, what is the prize on this show? Uh, I think that you get the money from the final challenge if it's a fundraising task. Mm-hmm. I mean, I assume the celebrities, they get paid by, I don't know if they get paid for how long they're on or if they just get one flat stipend across. Uh, when you're talking to Chill about the rule book, ask him about that too. <laughs> yeah. And again, Megan, another reason to not give so much money in that fundraising task. I think that Vince Neil felt like, well, I'm not going to do any better than this. This is pretty, pretty good. You know, that he's going to come back with a con- conquering hero. All right. All right. We hear you. Okay. Uh, so eventually, yeah, Vince Neil, after that, you're terminated. Uh, that, Mike, is there any scenario where you could see, where, like, one person says, well, I guess you could fire me, uh, where you say, you know what? I'm not going to fire you now. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, I don't know if you, if you have an example. I feel like there is at least one example of somebody saying, like, you know, Mr. Trump. I feel like it's my responsibility. You should get rid of me. And Trump flat out said, no, I'm going to get rid of this person instead. I feel like there has to be at least one instance in six in seven seasons of Celebrity Apprentice. Megan, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like that the former host of this show, if that would have happened, would say, you know what? This person, you were terrible and I have to fire you too. He would do a double firing in that case. Yeah, I'm struggling to come up with a good example of of either of those scenarios. I, I know definitely there were times when uh, the former host would kind of make choices on his own against what the people would think. There's definitely times where somebody would say, I want to be the project manager and Trump would pick somebody else. Um, <laughs> but in the boardroom, <laughs> I'm tr- struggling to think of an, an example of, uh, yeah. of the latter. I mean, certainly we've seen it on Survivor where people want to go home, but they make them stay and against their will and they don't just quit the game. But uh, it's hard to think of the apprentice uh, version of that. So, okay, Vince Neal is gone, but Vince Neal... Again, he holds his head up high after he's going back to the Cleveland Foundation with all of this moolah. I was able to raise a lot of money for the Cleveland Clinic. I think it's going to be a game changer for them. Yes, we got a real game changer going on here with my, my movie. I'm like a real uh, Sierra fan favorite, Sierra Easton. Yeah. <laughs> But I'm sorry, she just voted off the the charity. So sorry, you're not getting any money. <laughs> what a big move! Yeah, a game changer, Megan. Can you believe it? And they're they're in the uh, control room. Mark Burnett says, "I've got it." Yes. Oh, brilliant. Yes. Uh, well, so. is, isn't, this, isn't this the second mention of game changers this season? I feel like the first episode, the woman said game changers at one point too. So maybe it's just it's a phrase that keeps getting repeated in Mark Burnett's head. So he decides to finally utilize it. This is a game changer. Yeah. Okay, maybe, Megan, do you think that we could have Celebrity Apprentice Game Changers uh, coming up next season? I did spend I just I was trying to think if we did a Celebrity Apprentice All-Stars 2, could they use the original pool of of characters? Uh, But uh, I'm not sure. I don't know if that still works. And let's also remember that in terms of just like the idea of if that line does get crossed and it's fine and we have to choose between casting people. The All-Star season brought on Lisa Rinna, who was out second in her season. So I feel like they could bring on really anyone who placed anywhere. They could bring Carrie Keegan back for All-Star Celebrity Apprentice 2. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, We'll see. We'll see how it all goes. All right. So that's the end of the first hour. Uh, Vince Neil was never fired in his life, Megan. Good for him, but also when you're the front man of your own band, uh, isn't it kind of hard to get fired? (laughs) You would think so. Did he ever have a job besides being in Motley Crue? 
I'm actually pretty sure he left Motley Crue as well. Oh, so he, that's I, not I don't fired. Think it was, I, don't, I don't think it wasn't a scenario. It wasn't you're not firing me because I quit. Uh, he didn't get fired from the surreal life, Mike. That's true, uh, though I'm, I'm assuming somebody might have burnt down the house at some point. It was just, <laughs> he would have been literally fired, but I think they put out that fire. Okay. All right. So uh, we've got the second task to talk about. But before we get to go into Harry Potter, let me just take a moment and talk about refinancedance.com. Because if you owe less than $625,000 on your home, and boy, that, that that's Vince Neil money right there. Uh, you need to know about refinancedance.com because they've got some surprising information there for homeowners. Did you know qualified homeowners can take advantage of Congress's once-in-a-lifetime mortgage relief program called HARP? program is totally free and doesn't add any cost to your refinancing. The only bad news is that like most government benefits and many Celebrity Apprentice cast members, uh, that could soon be gone uh, homeowners who act before the program expires this year can take advantage of the greatest mortgage reduction program in U.S. history. HARP is a program with no downside. All it does is help qualified homeowners get better, more affordable mortgages. Responsible homeowners have used HARP to eliminate up to 15 years of mortgage payments, cut their interest rates in half, or simply lower monthly payments and save up to $4,100 a year. If you want to learn more about HARP, and the shocking amount that you could save by refinancing, you need to connect with the lenders at refinancedance.com. It's a name that makes you smile and savings that'll make you dance. I don't know about uh, dancing like Brooke Burke, but uh, it could make you dance at refinancedance.com. That's refinancedance.com. All right, let's talk about the wizarding world of Harry Potter. Let's just do a quick check in, Mike. I know you're, you're a big Potter head, right? Yeah, this task was out of one of Corey Brooks' dreams. It was that <laughs> Harry Potter-centric. So I was in love with this as Matt Eisman was. And really, we're going to talk about his excitability, and maybe that was a deterrent. But, I mean, again, I, if I put myself in his shoes, I probably would be behaving the same way. Now, Megan, what's your background with Harry Potter? Sure. So I, I certainly know more than Leila Ali, who needed the robes explained to her. Um, yes. I've, I've read some of the books. I've seen some of the movies. So I have a pretty good idea of the lore and the plot and everything that's happened. But um, I haven't necessarily consumed all of the, all of the materials. Yeah. OK, so, so you're good. So you're good. I'm probably closer to Leila Ali. Uh, than you are. I mean, I understand that there's magic. I understand that there's a wizard. I mean, I've seen about nine Celebrity Apprentice tasks about Harry Potter, so I get it. I'm not anti-Harry Potter. Uh, I just, as a uh, adult man without kids, when the movies came out, I felt uh, that maybe I didn't get into it, Mike. I'm sorry. Yeah, and that's that's totally fine. I think age is a factor as well, and you are very much in line with basically the entirety of Team Prima. <laughs> And most of Team Arate, so you you definitely have a kindred spirit there. Yes, uh, and and I, you you hearken back to you know they've done a couple of Universal Studios tasks, but of course probably the most famous one is the one where they did Wizarding World of Harry Potter in season three. With the, infam the infamous um, Muggles and Wizards, Muggles and Wizards from Cindy Lauper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. when they also like smoked out the room goldberg was dressed as a tree and they yeah, kept like pouring smoke into the room where nobody could see anything <laughs> yes goldberg was a giant talking tree and he got the name of the school wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh goldberg i believe is uh really back in the mix in the wrestling these days mike well yeah i guess he was out on his luck when he tried out as a talking tree in the harry potter films they wouldn't take him in 
<laughs> okay, so we have the Harry Potter task, and Megan, exactly what are what do people need to do? They have to make a brochure and give a presentation. Yep, they have to make a brochure that's celebrity inspired. Um, and then just combine that with their creativity and brand integration and their live performance. And we have a new judge who's back for this one. Tracy Edmonds, host of Extra. Mike, can you explain how this is a fit? Well, Extra is a show that airs. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen Extra in a while. I think it might be either the 7 or the 730 <laughs> uh, slot on NBC. But I guess she's a, pro- a host and producer on it. I guess because it's entertainment related and you know NBC obviously has a tie to Universal she might be the one to slot in here I feel like the way that this season works there's a bunch of different advisors and I think it, the, the producers just sort of play match them up and try to figure out like okay who's best slotted for this task I feel like for the most part they've done really well with it but this might be a rare miss <laughs> uh, they definitely did okay. not catch the golden snitch on this advisor choice <laughs> yes also uh, Tracy Edmonds the ex-wife of babyface Megan uh, I believe she also was with Eddie Murphy and Dion oh. Sanders. She has, uh, you know, quite the history. Quite the history. Okay. Uh, and I believe that Extra does film on the NBC Universal lot as well. So that is uh, where you can watch the taping of that show. So she might have just been available. Yeah, she might have just stepped all out of her makeup chair and said, yeah, I can hang out for a few hours because... You know, when she, I think she only dropped in on one team and she basically had nothing to say about it. So uh, not not really a memorable appearance from Miss Edmonds here on the Celebrity Apprentice. Uh, we would have Matt Eisman step up to the plate. And this was the task that he was born to do, Megan, to do the Harry Potter task that he loves Arnold Schwarzenegger movies and Harry Potter. This was beyond adorable. This was so adorable. I just like my heart, my heart sang for Matt Eisman. He was loving and living for this. And I just, I was so happy for him. And he could not be more likable. And I hope that that's not Mm -hmm. getting lost in what I was saying earlier in terms of like the big over the top personalities that we are left. Because I do believe that we are in a serious drought of that this season. But uh, he certainly is easily the person that you would want to see win this game. And it's so easy to root for. Yeah. Well, that being said, even I'll admit as one of the uh, big Harry Potter fan, maybe pouring it on a little too thick with the execs there, Matt vibe, you know, saying like, Oh yeah, is that $25,000 from, uh, from your bank or from Gringotts? And then Arnold Schwarzenegger, just clearly not a fan of Harry Potter either. Just not getting the reference whatsoever and not playing into the joke. Matt, where do you care where the money is from? The money is $50,000. It doesn't matter. Stop talking. I don't think everyone realizes that that is a fake bank run by a goblin (laughs) and guarded by a dragon. (laughs) Yeah. So Matt has a very ambitious plan that he wants to do the daily profit, uh, which is, I guess, like the New York Times of the (laughs) Harry Potter world, Mike. Well, it depends. Uh, I don't want to dive too far into it because I feel like I may lose some of the non-Potterheads out there, specifically the two that I'm talking to. But I mean, it, it it's the main source of news, but there's also like a big tabloid section of it. There's a character named Rita Skeeter who's like sort of like the the Harry Potter version of TMZ where she reports hmm. fake news. Uh, Harry Potter did fake news, I guess, before mainstream <laughs> media did. <laughs> so it's more like the New York Post of uh, the Harry Potter world? I would guess. I mean, I think there are some legitimate articles in there, but once they introduce Rita Skeeter about halfway through the series, uh, the Daily Prophet becomes much more of a, 
a source of misinformation than regular information. I did get to visit the Wizarding World of Harry Potter on my last trip to Universal. And I have to say, my biggest takeaway from it was that there were not a lot of little kids there. And it seemed like there was a lot of millennials hanging out there walking around in costume, Megan. Yeah, I know it was several people my age that have gone to to Harry Potter world. Um, I mean, I guess those are the people that can fund the trip, too. I mean, if you're like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if Harry Potter world is one of these like splinter parks where you need to pay extra admission. But if you just have like little kids, you're like, eh, we'll wait until later to, to have little kids there. were not anywhere to be found. It was all like people like between like uh, 20 and 25 at Wizarding World of Harry Potter. It was Vince Neil was like. Yeah, we should get some of these girls from a uh, Harry Potter land and get in them, their uh, schoolgirl uniforms. Yeah, dancing up in yeah, that they, little schoolgirl uniform of Hogwarts. They're, they're giving out butter beers everywhere. Uh, butter beer, be yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, where's uh, Hermione? Get her over here. So, Wizarding <laughs> <laughs> World of Harry Potter. Yeah, it's uh, not a lot of little kids anywhere to be found at Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Interesting, because, I mean, Matt's big pitch is going to say, let's go for the families, and that will be the more successful pitch. Granted, I feel like, I don't know, pointing your wands at a camera and screaming at the top of your lungs would probably be a better pitch than what Prima did. But I guess, you know, they I know in a lot of commercials for Wizarding World of Harry Potter, they tend to show the family aspect of it. But I guess Harry Potter really is like the millennials big piece of literature. So it makes sense that they would want to dote on that more because it's more nostalgic to them. So if the problem with Matt's idea is that, is it too ambitious? Uh, We have then the complete opposite issue with Team Prima, Megan, of that we have an idea where there is really no there there. It's similar to sort of like the D. Snyder version of like, hey, why don't we just get cardboard cutouts of celebrities (laughs) and put them out there? Let's get Gary Busey, put him in a cat in the hat hat and put Stephen Baldwin as Shrek. That'll work. (laughs) <laughs> yeah there's nothing mike i mean i would have loved to see gary Busey as dumbledore if they flew him out just to do that i would give him the money right there right then so this is basically the pitch that carson and portia come up with that they are the biggest stars in the world but harry potter and the wizarding world of harry potter is such a big star that it could make by comparison carson cressley portia the real housewife Lisa Leslie and Chael Sonnen all seem like complete nobodies compared to the wizarding world of Harry Potter. That's how big it is, Megan. Yeah, so big that do you know Portia's last name or are you just calling her Portia the real housewife? If you gave me multiple choice, I might (laughs) be able to get it, but I do not know. Pretty sure it's it's Portia Kitchen. Portia Kitchen. (laughs) Yes, that's how big Harry Potter is. Well, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I didn't know 75% of those people before coming into the show. They could have shown me Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life, and I probably would have recognized him over uh, most of the team. (laughs) So they're going to go through, and they're going to say, like, okay, every other day, we're the celebrities, but around here, we're not even celebrities. And, And being a celebrity is such a burden we need to come to the wizarding world of Harry Potter so we can just feel like you normals do on a regular day. This is where we go to relax because we can finally feel like just an average nobody. 
Yeah, they're muggles, finally, and they're not getting uh, sacked of all their galleons, like Carson said he was in New York as a mungled. <laughs> yeah. So we just end up with everybody just taking photos, and apparently they don't know that the park is going to open, Megan. Yeah, because all of a sudden there's floods and floods of people, but somehow uh, Matt's team had to bring their own family with them, even though there were thousands of families readily available. Yeah, well, there were thousands of families available, but I don't know if like these people that paid money to go to Universal Studios want to be harassed by Matt Eisman and be like his photo model the whole day. <laughs> like, Why is the host of American Ninja Warrior harassing us, honey? I don't know. I just want to go on the Minions ride. Yeah, do I have to go on through any obstacle course after I do this? You're scaring me, sir. <laughs> so they took pictures of, with a family. I mean, it, to, to speak to Carson's point, I mean, that's how powerful the wizarding world of Harry Potter is, that these huge mega celebrities could be roaming around Universal Studios and they were not harassed by one person to take a picture with them or even a selfie, Megan. They just, people were just standing in the way and treating them like that they weren't even famous at all. Yeah, I mean, they were, uh, they're not stars in Harry Potter world. What are you going to say? <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, Mike. I, I, to, be honest, to be honest, though, I feel like if Boy George was there for the tax, there might be a chance because of his unique look that people would recognize him. Actually, Boy George seems like he looks like a character from Harry Potter. Uh, so maybe they just think he's a staff member there and ask him where the nearest bathroom is. He also has an English accent, so that helps, too. It's true. I mean, who is the most recognizable person left in this cast? If we're going to take Boy George out of the equation, and he's probably more recognizable because he's in costume. Uh, So, Megan, who would you say that is at this point? I think it's Lisa, probably, that just uh, if you were just going to put a line with people. I mean, Brooke could probably blend in with a lot of people. Same with Ricky. Same with Layla. Carson has a distinct look, but amongst a bunch of people, I think Lisa, just her height wise, she's going to stand out. I think. Would you know that was Lisa Leslie? I mean, I would never assume that because if I was wrong, I would feel like I had made some sort of like uh, impolite decision there. But I guess if she had a bunch of camera crew following her around, then maybe I think my odds are higher that it's Lisa. Mm, I guess so. I mean, if you'd say, okay, oh, well, she must be a basketball player, but I don't know if Lisa Leslie is uh, like a household, like recognizable face. I knew the name more than I knew what Lisa Leslie looked like before this started. I feel like Carson might be the most recognizable person, but that's sort of damning with faint praise because he's probably the he was probably much more recognizable. What, like 10, 12 years ago at this point. Mm -hmm. But I guess through that sort of like leftover lingering fame and all the stuff he's done after the fact, he still might be by a smidge the most famous person left outside of Boy George, this side of the pond. So everybody is taking the pictures. Apparently the problem here with Carson's team, Megan, is that they took too many pictures. Is that the issue? I think that they didn't have any sort of cohesive. You go take a picture near, you know, I was going to try to give some examples of what they're taking pictures with, but, you know, uh, Mike would just uh, drag me across the floor for what I would be guessing what the names of some of these things are. Um, but, uh, you know, I think they just all kind of went wild and did their own thing. So when th- at the end of the day, they get back to the editing bay and instead of having 50 pictures, they have like 2000 pictures to go through. Yeah. And there was no sort of sense of what they were going for. Tracy Edmonds comes in and. And she's she's still waiting to hear a concept, but it never comes, Mike. Yeah. And I mean, not a great hour for Carson here. But at the same time, I mean, I guess we have to ask, did he make the best of a bad situation? Taking Chael out of it as someone who knew nothing about Harry Potter and pretty much had to promote a park exclusively to people who wanted to go to the park and were assumingly Harry Potter fans. Do you think he did an okay job of trying to promote a theme park at all? 
<laughs> no, no. I mean, it was the <laughs> default celebrity apprentice idea of it's like, hey, we'll just yeah. use our star power for this, even though it was like the opposite of that, of like, even our star power is diminished by, I mean, there was n- nothing there to add from the star power. They should have, uh, that was a bad idea to even get involved with that. But Megan, is there anything that you could have done as a person, like if, if you were Carson and uh, did not have really any knowledge of Harry Potter, is there anything they could have done to compete with Matt Eisman? I think they probably could have asked around a little bit more. Maybe. Right. I, I don't know if they even got any. Are they even getting time with the executives anymore? Because that's something that it seems like you used to be able to ask questions. I remember very specifically on the um you know, the cardboard cutout uh, celebrity all-star apprentice universal challenge. Dennis Rodman was credited for asking wonderful questions of the executives <laughs> and he was praised in the boardroom by Mr. Trump for it. Uh, but you don't even get the opportunity. So maybe just talking a little bit more to the fans. Maybe you have three people take pictures and one person kind of talks around to the crowd a little bit. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they have the execs because I like the Welch's stuff, for instance, that's where they found it about like the millennial mom stuff. Right. I feel like there have been a couple times. Maybe uh, Mr. Larry Kurzweil, who he himself looks like a Harry Potter character as well, uh, had to go deal with his own businesses as COO and wasn't able to answer any questions. Okay, so this is the point when they're running out of time. They end up with Chael cutting the wire. Uh, We talked about that at length at the opening of the episode. But what about on the other side? Mike, did you think that there were things that were going to potentially be a problem based on what you were seeing from Matt's presentation of The Daily Prophet? When Matt said, like, oh, you know, I I knew there were things that need to be proofread, but I had to skip past them. I was totally waiting for another Melania misspelling uh, from one of the seasons where, like, you know, they would get, like, muggle spelled wrong or they would spell, you know, a, a, a name wrong, which, you know, might have been enough of a cardinal sin to squeak out Prima above Arete if Prima did not do such a bad job. I, I, I get where Matt is coming from, and I think Daily Prophet was a great link, but I mean, you even saw this when you went to the park, Rob. One of the cool things about the Harry Potter universe are that the pictures in it move around and interact. When I heard digital brochure at first, I thought it was going to be, you know, utilizing, I don't know, GIFs or like moving images, not just still images. So I felt like they missed out on a cool opportunity there to sort of link it back to the Potterverse. Yeah, if only uh, Carson Kressley knew you, Mike. I I say that to myself every day, so I'm happy that someone else has said it now. Yeah. All right, so we got to the presentations, and Matt does a whole song and dance. Everybody's really into it. Uh, Brooke has to interrupt him, but I felt like that, Megan, that came off as it could have been like a scripted moment, too. Like, I, I don't think it was, but I feel like to the audience, it could have been a scripted moment. Yeah, I think it didn't come off as as icy as perhaps it could have if you just if they had like different music behind it, like if they had like the record stop, then you'd be like, oh, what's Brooke doing? But they made it kind of seem like it was just like seamless and fun. Uh, Then we got to the Carson presentation and Carson was buying it. He felt like that they were really into his presentation, Mike. I'm surprised because this was not Carson at his best. I mean, he was stilted it was clear he was uncomfortable he was reading off a piece of paper you cut to that little kid in the crowd clearly they're not amused and once you don't have the kids you know you pretty much lost the parents so i don't know why they were relying on uh, mr kurzweil and his quirky glasses to see if they won this task but the rest of the crowd was clearly uh prepping one over the other Yeah. well they had just gotten like 10 minutes of matt eisman just completely pandering to the harry potter audience and then to get this was uh, like a real icy cold water bath for all these people it was like they're being sold timeshares yes. <laughs> now 
<laughs> we don't want that. Okay. So we end up going to the boardroom and uh, we, Arnold comes right in again. Uh, more roast material. At, Matt, there's two things that we learned about you. You're a big Harry Potter fan. And now I know why you're not married. Mike, was this a major insult? Should Is Governor Schwarzenegger going to start getting bullied by Harry Potter fans on social media? Uh, I don't know because I feel like looking at Mr. Schwarzenegger's physique, even in his age, uh, people might not want to start fights with him in general. But I feel like Arnold Schwarzenegger, if, you know, the Zingbot, if and when the Zingbot finally uh, gets put into remission and, you know, packed up in a warehouse, I feel like they could bring in Arnold Schwarzenegger to just fire off zings at people, considering that, you know, he's got one over on John Lovitz and Carson and now Matt Eisman. He's just working his way down the line. They call me the Zinganator. Well, he said, you know, you got to do one job to get to the next. So maybe Celebrity Apprentice is his way to parlay his stand-up comedian career. Yeah, that's why he's been so tight with John Lovitz all this time. <laughs> Did you think that when I was going to be working out, that I couldn't be working on my acting or my political career or my stand-up comedy routine or my time tenure as the Zingbot in the Big Brother house? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we go right into the Chael business. And again, I think this was a major mistake by Carson to throw this out there. And I don't know if production said that, okay, like you got to get into this right away. Arnold's ready to talk about it. And they knew he was going to do this firing ahead of time. But big mistake for Carson to lay it out on the table up front because then you could go to the boardroom and then you could say that you were distracted by Chael when he's going to fire somebody. But uh, we talked about all that earlier. So then we get to the actual decision. Uh, Megan, did you like how that there was even no suspense about the decision? Yeah, I mean, you kind of read the tea leaves. I had completely misinterpreted uh, last week in the in the previews where they said we were going to have triple termination. I thought we were going to have... Uh, much like Ian's earring, three at once. But as soon as you saw people were going one on one, you thought, oh, we're just firing one person at a time here. But you kind of saw exactly where it was going. I thought that maybe we were going to get a Carson firing here. Did you think that was on the table, Mike? Um, I'm not entirely sure. I was, you know, I could have seen last task if we're going with like the triple termination going into this episode that since we said that both presentations kind of sucked, that Arnold would have, you know, fired one from each team uh, or, you know, done what he did uh, during that infamous uh, season two tied task where he said, like, nobody won, but we'll still, you know, fire. Everyone's up for elimination. But I don't know. I felt like especially Arnold kept talking Carson up. I feel like even though that usually does lead to a firing in the second part of the statement, he was not going to let him go immediately, especially since Portia was really getting on his last nerve here. And Portia just kept pushing it. Megan, I talked about this with Chael. You don't think that Portia decided that this would be the way she was going to fall on her own sword, right? That You don't think there's any way that she is savvy or even snavvy enough to know that she was going to get fired if she kept filibustering on his questions? Yeah, I, I don't I don't think so. I don't think she thought if I just talk so much, he'll just get so done with me. He'll move on to the next person. I thought that she was just this is just who she is. She talks a lot. And who could have thought that Arnold gives this? There's only two reasons you can be fired. You cheat or you avoid questions, which in all of my celebrity apprentice watching, I did not realize that those were the two main criteria on the board. <laughs> yeah, it seems like that doesn't happen very often. It seems like the other hundred people that have been fired on this show, it happened for other reasons. Completely. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, considering how much uh, Gary Busey got by in both of his seasons for just rambling about nothing in particular, uh, Portia was not able to utilize that strategy effectively. Megan, do you think that if this was the Trump apprentice and Chael pulled this stunt, do you think that he's fired on the spot? I think that he would be fired on the spot, but I think there maybe would have been uh, a little more, a little more um, fireworks around it, a little more of a bigger production around it. I don't know. Like I felt like the way Chael went out, um, it was very kind of slow and and kind of you know a low mood. I feel like Trump would have made a bigger deal about everything. You don't think that Trump in the heyday of the Celebrity Apprentice might have been like a jail? That was tough. That was tough. You know, I like it. I, I like that he's that he's not giving up. You never know. <laughs> I, I could still see him doing it because, I mean, again, it does direct, directly, you know, go against the rules set upon the task. But he could definitely do a lot more talking up of like, you know, jail, you did something that's very good in business. You took it, you, you thought outside the box. Uh, but this time the box shocked you too much. You're fired. So, like, I feel like he could have said, like, jail, you did something really interesting and really savvy and really conniving. But unfortunately, I have to get rid of you. He'd be a lot more remorseful, I think, than Schwarzenegger was. Yeah, the only person who was giving us any sort of electricity pun uh, was Brooke Burke on her way out. I think we were all shocked to watch it unfold in front of us. Was that intentional, Megan? A hundred percent. Brooke Burke had written that down, practiced it in front of a mirror a hundred times, and there we got it, delivered clean and ready to go. Brooke Burke really got off scot-free in this episode because in one of the earlier photo shoots that they had done, Matt Eisman had an idea where he wanted David Charvet to come out, Mike, and ride on one of the brooms and then have Brooke Burke on the back, and she just completely shut it down. Yeah, I mean, I believe uh, David told her, you know, you know, I'm the seeker. I feel like I would be just a wimp if I was kept in the back of the broom, if I was a keeper, <laughs> or, you know, if I was a beater. Uh, I don't beat bludgers. I catch snitches. That's just who I am. I'm not a wimp. We haven't talked this much about Harry Potter and Quidditch, Mike, since Opposite Worlds in its heyday. What's that guy's name? Steve, I think it was the guy, the rando guy who entered later than everyone else. I met him. That he was at the what? after party for the last Survivor. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you met him at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. No. I feel like that's his, his. That's the place where he fits right in. No, it was at the last Survivor finale. I was just walking around, and he came up to me, and he was like, "Hey, Rob, do you remember me? I'm Steve from Opposite Worlds." He's still waiting for the Google Hangout like he did for Who Done It. <laughs> I said, "Oh yeah. yeah, the Harry Potter guy." Yes, <laughs> get us all together. Me, Frank the Tank, that little rat boy—I forget his name. Jeffrey Fry, Fry. I know. All I thought was a little rat. Wow, that was really mean, Mike. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry, Fry. I know you're listening out there. I apologize to you for calling you a rat boy. <laughs> that is a third place finisher on Opposite Worlds, <laughs> Mike. You, you Mike. respect his place in the world. Yeah, That's very true. He's done better on any reality show than I ever could. So, <laughs> All right. no, I, I yeah, Sammy side boob uh, deserves much better. <laughs> All right. All right, so we got to the final three here. Uh, we didn't have to have any decision for Lisa to make or for Carson to make in terms of who was going to get picked. In the first hour that Arnold asked the question of to Portia, who should Lisa take to the boardroom? And then uh, Portia put it out there, and then Lisa was like, oh, I don't need her to tell me who to bring. I know to bring Vince and Chael. I don't need Portia to tell me what to do. 
That was the only time Portia actually had an answer to something. Yes, so she was good with that. All right, so yeah, who are we going to fire? And Portia just keeps ask, getting asked the questions, and Arnold is uh, getting very, very frustrated. I couldn't believe it, Megan, when he asked her again, who should I fire? And she's like, well, you know, I really hate And she goes into this whole big thing, and finally she has to get terminated. She just could not do it. He gave her exactly what to do. And I don't know. Do you guys think it actually would have made a difference? Would he have really gone for Carson? Or it just happened to be that the the cards fell correctly this way and Portia set herself up here. I mean, she she doesn't like Lisa. I don't get it. Why was she so hesitant to just throw Lisa under the bus? Yeah, it's strange. I mean, as you said, the the contingencies were right there. She was very close with Carson. She could throw Lisa under the bus. But I guess the problem is, I mean, she, as soon as she walked into the boardroom, said like, hey, I take responsibility for the creative and the major failing of the task was the creative. It's tough to really cast a lot of blame onto Lisa here. So maybe, yeah, she tried to, you know, go against her friendship. She was torn between her friendship with Carson and the logic of going after Carson. And that's what led to her indecision, I guess. I don't know. And that we also had a couple of moments in this episode where Arnold talks to Patrick in Austrian. That Was that about... Portia the first time around as well, Megan? Uh, she put it in her Google Translate and she said she knew exactly what it meant. Yeah, but even the, in the first episode of the season, was that about Portia that he was talking to Patrick the first time around? It might have been. I'm having trouble recalling exactly what it was. I think it might have been. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure he told Patrick like, oh, yeah, this woman doesn't keep quiet. And that's pretty much what all the conversations have been. So <laughs> yeah. maybe Portia did know the, the words because that's pretty much all they said in Austrian in the boardroom. Yeah, this was going back to the first week of The Celebrity Apprentice. First, I, what I answered was the question in the beginning. Because. Yeah. She really got under his skin. I mean, he says, all you do is talk, talk, talk. That's it. You're terminated. I mean, she was one of those people that, like, was kind of fun to have on. She was a fun source of comic relief. But at the end of the day, she had no chance of making it far. I mean, she lost that very first task. And it's clear that anytime she was given something creative to do, she almost always failed at it. So she, she, was, not very, she was not destined to make it to the end, no matter what. Yeah, he said six out of eight tasks. I know. I was kind of underwhelmed by Portia. You know, they, she really did not deliver any big fights, any big moments. I mean, she was a disaster in the boardroom. And I feel like that she did not have too many memorable moments on the show. I think if I were drafting of the Housewives this season, I'd take her over Kyle Richards. Sure. Uh, but but, you, but you're right. With faint praise. Yeah. She is <laughs> well, no Nene Leakes. She is no Teresa G. Dice. Oh, I mean, of course, those those women are legends. They'd be invited back for new Celebrity Apprentice Game Changer season one. I think that uh, we have seen better stock come out of the Real Housewives world into the Celebrity Apprentice than our crop from this season, Mike. Yeah, I definitely say so. But now that we're sort of purged of that, I mean, I feel like that's one of the biggest things that people complain about when they see the Celebrity Apprentice casting list. So now that we are done with that, the housewives are done. They're talking with Andy Cohen on the couch about their most recent tasks. Now we can move forward and play some basketball, literally. Okay. Yeah, next week we are going to have a L.A. Clippers task. And as John John Johnson asked me, uh, do you think we'll see a Nat 10 cameo next week? Megan, likelihood of Natalie Tenerelli showing up as one of the Clippers girls dancers next week. Is she still on the team? I watched one episode of that reality show of the L.A. Clipper girls. I and uh, 
Yeah, they made her always seem like the weak link, but but I only checked out episode one. So if she's still on the team, then yeah, we should see her. Yeah. Well, you know, if Vince Neil was still in the game, he'd be all over that. <laughs> hey, so Natalie, uh, so tell me about what was going on with the Clippers. <laughs> Your time there. Were you like, uh, did you get to know that racist guy? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. No, Vince Neil. Stop. We're not talking about that. Okay. This is the new Clippers. We're not talking about the old days. Okay. So right, let's get into the questions from the listeners. And uh, Carrie Graveline wants to know. Do most people like or dislike that the second advisor is almost always different? I like that it's always Arnold, Patrick, and then somebody new, preferably someone who's familiar with this type of task. Megan, are you in favor of the rotating, revolving door of judges? I thought they were just going to say preferably someone who's familiar, period, because I know a bunch (laughs) of these people I haven't recognized. I don't mind the rotating judges. I think if they couldn't pick somebody solid to stay for the whole time, yeah, sure, let's flip them in and out. They really haven't uh, impacted the show that much. Um, I did enjoy some of Bob's facial reactions, like what did I get myself into in the boardroom today? So, you know, they don't impact the show a a ton. I would have rather we had just one other person with Patrick the whole way through, like when we used to have with George and Carolyn, or it would be Ivanka and one of the, you know, we had like a little more familiarity of like, we kind of knew who these people were. And then I feel like if you had certain tasks where it's like, okay, Warren Buffett is going to taste the chocolate or Bob Harper is going to be here because it's a fitness task that you could also get their input. I mean, but there's no reason to have them in the boardroom. I don't know if any of these other side judges ever added anything in the boardroom in any of these episodes so far this season. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like, I mean, I think Tyra Banks would have been perfect. She would have been good. And, if they could have her the whole season, yeah. that would have been great. If every, I mean, I, I don't know if they had to make every task a Tyra beauty task just to keep her on board, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm fine with it because, again, like, I, I think at least for the most part, Tracy Edmonds being the exception, it's at least appropriate to the task. Uh, Patrick Schwarzenegger, I guess he's starting to melt my icy heart, but I would still, you know, take a cardboard cutout of D. Snyder over him any day of the week. Ron from Toronto wants to know, which of the remaining cast members do you believe have no chance of winning? Okay, Megan, why don't we go around the let's do a draft of who has no chance of winning out of the final eight? I'm going to take the Potterhead of Ricky Williams. Ricky Williams. No chance of winning. Yeah. It seems like he's got a rather invisible edit. So, yeah, I'll buy that. No chance of winning for Ricky Williams. This is tough because I feel like he was the major person who was left that really had no chance of winning. This might be controversial. I don't know if Boy George, I feel like he could make it to the end, but I feel like we really haven't seen that much of him in terms of creativity that would let him win. Yeah, I hear that. I'm going to say Lisa Leslie has been involved in too much drama this season. I don't think that she has a chance to win. Yeah, I can see that, especially since the only task she's been PM for, she failed. I feel like that's a a big mark on her. (laughs) Okay. Anybody else, Megan? Who else has no chance to win? I don't think Layla can win from the last Ooh. couple of episodes. I know she was your winner pick, Rob. Yeah. She was pretty much gone all this episode. Last episode, she made that crazy-ass chocolate. Um, <laughs> crazy-ass chocolate. That is harsh words. I mean, just because Warren Buffett didn't like it. John Lovett says that it was delicious. <laughs> How dare I damn the uh, She had a bad palette. night tonight. She had a bad night yeah. tonight. But I think that she still has some equity, Mike. I, I could see that. I think, as Megan said, she's been very quiet. I mean, she really came into her own with the big, fit, the other fitness task, the Welch's Grapefruit task, which I believe she ended up winning. But 
I feel like unless we get another fitness or food based task, she might not be able to win it. Yeah, I think there's maybe three people we could talk about as the winner right now. I think it's probably Matt Eisman. I think Carson is still in the mix to potentially win. And I feel like that Layla is the third. Do you think that Brooke Burke is in the mix at all? I mean, she did win this past task, but I, I don't know how I feel about her general mentality of, yeah, I don't really have any idea. I'm not good at conceiving ideas. I just sort of let the event happen and, you know, let the cards fall as they may. I feel like that was fine here where the other team just completely missed the mark and they only semi hit the mark. But Mm -hmm. if you make it to the final where you essentially have to organize an entire event, whatever that may be, I feel like that laissez-faire attitude might not work there, no matter how much booty popping you may be doing. Okay. Josh Lemer wants to know, is anyone else disappointed with how boring Ricky Williams has been? You would think that someone who once quit the NFL because he wanted to smoke more cannabis would be a little more interesting than most of the standard boring athletes on the show like this boy. Sounds like a real Brooke Burke. Were, were you guys expecting Ricky Williams to be wackier? I mean, my, I'll admit my only impression of Ricky Williams before this show was uh, playing the humongous entertainment computer game Backyard Football. Uh, so from, you know, <laughs> the animated avatar that he provided as an eight year old, I, I don't I wasn't expecting that much. Yeah, I feel like he had like some spark when he was arguing with Chael. So unless I feel like he's directly confronted, though, he really isn't bringing much. OK. And one other question Amy Shapiro wants to know, is Arnold Gryffindor? Mm, That's a good question. I feel like he has to be uh, because, I mean, Gryffindors have a lot of braggadocio, and I feel like that is all about Arnold, considering every boardroom he's talking about how great his career has been. All right. What is the hashtag for tonight's episode number four? Uh, We have a, a a lot of ideas to choose from. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, the two I have down are jerky gun and, uh, essential mutiny. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, we have, uh, what are the, whether it's uh scissor gate or cord cutter gate or, uh, mm-hmm. a chail of two scissors, uh, who could forget <laughs> rat boy. <laughs> <laughs> look, you look him up. You tell me he doesn't look like a rodent to you. Okay. <laughs> Megan, what is it? <laughs> I mean, I it seems so off brand for us to pick somebody from a show we're not even talking about <laughs> who didn't even win the show we weren't talking about. Um, no, that's perfectly in brand. That is perfectly in line with Promise Podcast. <laughs> so, Megan, what's so? So, what's the official call? I, I'm making. You're going to make me say "Rat Boy" is where we're going. Here. <laughs> Executive decision. Okay. Uh, then. We've got a lot on our plate still on uh, the podcast uh, this week. If you missed it on Sunday night, I recorded with Kurt Clark and Liana Boris, the premiere of Hunted. Megan, do you have a review of Hunted you want to share? My review of Hunted is that no matter what happens on the show, there's going to be some great podcasting with it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mike, mm-hmm. uh, you were saying that you w- wished that they had done each episode had been like a standalone thing. Yeah, I'm, I think the uh, you brought up an interesting point in your podcast about like, I think the, the staggered start is still a little odd to me. I can understand that they keep getting caught at different intervals. So you kind of want to edit it all together. But if I had two words to describe this show so far, it'd be intensely stupid. But it's not meant as a pejorative whatsoever because I love dumb TV and movies. And you guys put out a great podcast and I'm looking forward to many more. (laughs) Okay. All right. So we will be back two hours of Hunted on Wednesday night. So uh, we will be back with another podcast 
after that. Of course, uh, be on the lookout for News AF for all of the uh, News AFers out there in the podcast listening audience. And let me give you a a special bonus treat for you Celebrity Apprentice listeners who made it to the end. This is I give you guys a a reward for making it this far that uh, the patrons of Rob as a podcast know that we announced the tickets for the live Survivor Know-It-Alls coming up March 22nd in New York City at Caroline's on Broadway, but uh, that information has not been released out to the public until right now. Uh, we still have uh, some tickets available for the live know-it-alls. Go to robinswebsitecom slash March 2017 KIA. That's robinswebsitecom slash March 2017 KIA. And uh, that again, uh, there are still tickets available, but I don't know for how much longer. Okay. So uh, there, that's how's that for making it to the end of a Celebrity Apprentice podcast, Megan? That's a great consolation prize if somebody made it all the way to the end. <laughs> yes, the and has to now use you. the hashtag rat boy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So there we go. Uh, of course, uh, Megan is on Twitter at Meg wants to know. Meg, have you been hearing a lot from the listeners of the podcast? Yeah, it's been great. It's been really fun. I mean, this is definitely one of my my first podcast experiences, but everyone has been quite lovely. OK, no, no haters yet. Uh, you know, not that many. Not that many. OK, that's good. Uh, and Mike Bloom, I know that you are always uh, podcasting up a storm, casting podcasting spells. Yes, I'm casting giant spells, uh, cloaking the podcasting universe, I guess, in my reality TV chat. Uh, Top Chef had their big Restaurant Wars episode of the season. That's sort of like the equivalent of the Survivor merge in terms of milestones. It was a big episode. There was a lot of contentiousness involved. Uh, So Antonio Mazzaro, Kirk Clark, and myself talked about that. And if you're listening to this uh, before the next Bachelor podcast comes out, I'll give another plug that my wife was on the Bachelor podcast last week. I thought she did a very nice job. There was lots of talk about the cheese pasta of it all. So if you haven't listened yet, uh, tune in. I thought it was a really fun conversation between her and Haley. Wow. This is uh, is very exciting, Mike. Are you concerned that Angela could eclipse your podcasting career? Oh, absolutely. She's standing right below me with a scissor to my Whoa. computer cord any minute just to usurp my position. A mutant is upon me. <laughs> <laughs> Real mutant happening at the Blue Mizzle household. All right. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Only three episodes left of new Celebrity Apprentice. Take care. Looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say in the comments. Have a good night. Bye.